This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. When your space has the long-lasting, noticeable scent of Airwick Vibrant Scented Oils, you'll want to invite everyone over, from book club to the fantasy league, even the in-laws. It smells amazing. Airwick Vibrant Scented Oils are infused with two times more natural essential oils versus regular Airwick Scented Oils for our most authentic, nature-inspired fragrance experience. Hmm. Transform your space with scents like white sage and mahogany or lavender and water lily. Now that's a breath of fresh Airwick. I'm Virginia Heffernan, and welcome to This is Critical, where we examine all of our assumptions about culture, like that Survivor as a franchise is washed up when, in fact, it's just getting started. The host, Jeff Probst, says that season 41, the current season, should be considered season one. And I'm with him. This week, we're diving deep into a sex scandal. And man, there have been a lot of sex scandals in Washington the past three years. Holy smokes. Let me see if I can get the order right. In 2018, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford credibly accused conservative Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh of trying to rape her when they were teenagers. In 2019, E. Jean Carroll credibly accused President Donald Trump of raping her in a Bergdorf Goodman dressing room in the 1990s. In 2020, gay adult film star Sean Harding accused a prominent anti-gay Republican senator of soliciting escorts for sex. And then, just this past spring, the feds opened an investigation into Congressman Matt Gates for sex trafficking and having illicit sex with a teenager. Good job, Republicans. So Kavanaugh has a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court, and Trump served out his term as president. And Lynn's, I mean, the senator accused of soliciting, won re-election and is still in the Senate. And Matt Gates is still in Congress and engaged to be married. Congratulations, Matt. Oh, but don't worry. Not all of those named in sex scandals skated. One of them had to resign. It's weird, though, because there's something different about this one. I can't put my finger on it. Is it because this member of Congress was openly bisexual? Is it because this congressperson was in a polyamorous relationship? Is it because the evidence in the scandal was actually revenge porn and thus also victimized the politician at the same time that it revealed their problematic behavior? Or wait a second. Let me guess. Is it because the politician who resigned, who was brought down by a sex scandal, is not... A man? No, that would be a crazy double standard. Kavanaugh, Trump, and Gates are accused of rape and assault and trafficking. And this one, Katie Hill, the former Democratic congresswoman from California, well, the line she crossed was much fainter. She admitted to what she said was a consensual affair with a staffer. That's not to say that an adulterous relationship between a boss and a subordinate should occasion a dance party. 
One of the Me Too movement's biggest contributions has been its attention to workplace power dynamics and how favoritism or sexual relationships or pressure can create a hostile work environment and quid pro quo situations. It can even complicate the idea of consent. But no less an authority than Monica Lewinsky has been clear that when talking about her relationship with her boss, Bill Clinton, she doesn't think that situation should be seen as abusive or coercive. So there is room for individuals to have full subjectivity, to be full moral actors in their relationships, whatever the power dynamics look like from the outside. Now, the staffer Hill had an affair with has been pretty quiet about the nature of their relationship, but until or unless she speaks out, it seems it should be up to her to characterize her experience. So back to Katie Hill. Why did the hammer come down so hard on her? And what happened to her when it did? Joining me to talk about sex scandals and double standards, sex standards and double scandals, is Katie Hill. She was an executive at a large homeless services provider in L.A. when she ran for the House in 2018, one of the wave of women who jumped into politics after Trump's election. When she won, Katie became the first openly bisexual person to be elected to the House. But her term ended abruptly in late 2019 after a conservative website published naked photos of her with a former campaign staffer. Hill tried at first to stick it out, but she was then accused of a second relationship, one with a congressional staffer, which is illegal. She denies that claim to this day, but it triggered an investigation from the House Ethics Committee, and Hill stepped down. I'll let her explain why later on. She wrote about all of this in a book called She Will Rise, Becoming a Warrior in the Battle for True Equality. A warning to listeners, we'll be talking about sexual assault and abusive relationships, so please take care. Katie Hill, welcome to This is Critical. Thanks for having me. All right, let's get right into it. So when Trump was elected, I got a text from a friend that said, we are not people. And I didn't know exactly what she meant. I mean, there were so many people Trump had insulted and threatened along the way. And it took me a while to figure out she meant women. Women are not people. And I want to start there because I know early in your book, She Will Rise, you also talk about Trump's election and how it affected you. So maybe you can start there with we are not people, the moment that misogyny triumphed. Yeah. I mean, that was for me and for so many of the people that I was elected with, especially the women that I was elected with, uh, that was the catalyst for us that, you know, you, you grow up. I mean, I was young, right? I was 29 years old. Like, I didn't feel like I had, at least on the surface, a lot of barriers. You know, I, I, I moved up pretty quickly in my career and I... Um, you know, I, I knew that sexism existed and stuff, but it was just, it wasn't quite as in your face until Trump was elected and until it became so clear that the experiences that women had had, the way that he talked about women, the, the, the policies that he intended to enact that harmed women, um, and the blatant disregard for it, I think all of that suddenly was just right in your face in a way that had not happened previously in my lifetime or at least that I had been old enough to be aware of. But when Trump was elected, it was so clear that we were not where so many of us thought we were as a society. We were not moving forward. And in fact, you know, I, I, I was always a bit more um, cautious than I think some people. Like, I didn't, I never felt Hillary's going to win for sure, right? Like, I never, 
I never felt completely confident in that because I, you know, I, I, I was living in a, a more purple area where, although Hillary ended up winning our district, I knew a lot of people who just hated her and hated her unfairly and who I thought that was just full of sexism and misogyny. After Trump won, Hill started looking forward to 2018. She realized her county in California could be one of the keys to flipping the House in the midterm elections. Hillary Clinton had won the district in 2016, but the sitting congressman, a Republican, had retained his seat. It was the last Republican-held district in all of L.A. County. It was a growing suburban community that had changed a lot in just the the last 10 years since redistricting had happened. But, you know, growing up there, it had always had a Republican. We'd always had a Republican. Uh, It's full of people who are kind of strongly conservative in a lot of ways, like uh, cops and, and firemen and it's just one of those those places that I really did not think would ever be held by a Democrat. Like when I was growing up, you know, you, you people left there because of how conservative it was, like younger people left because of that very reason. And so finding out that it was that Hillary had won was shocking to begin with. So I'm like, great, I'm going to get involved somehow. I'm going to I'm going to see if I can help flip this district. Hill's political experience at that point was in helping to pass ballot measures to aid L.A. residents experiencing homelessness. She had never considered running for office. And so I saw, you know, there was a lot of online chatter. And again, I, you know, was pretty friendly with a lot of activists, Democrat people who were involved, at least tangentially, in Democratic politics. And um, I saw someone post, one of my friends posted, we need to find a good candidate to run NCA 25 on Facebook. And I, um, I like replied, I was like that, you know, I, I can't remember what I said. I said something to like, that's my district. Maybe I should run. Ha ha. Like, like legitimately joking. And then she messaged me offline and said, no, seriously, like you should think about it. Let's talk about it. And I remember taking a shower and think, you know, at first it was like, yeah, right. That's crazy. And then the more you think about it, you're like, well, why not? You know, like what if there was ever a time to do something like this, this is the time. And, um, you know, if somebody like Trump can win, then like all the rules of who can be in politics are are off. Hill decided to run, but was up against a more established Democratic candidate in the primary. She won mainly thanks to a grassroots campaign, then gained national media attention, including a Vice News Tonight series that called her campaign the most millennial campaign ever and focused on her young staff who would take breaks from their phone banking to play HQ Trivia. Remember HQ Trivia? Hill won by eight percentage points, but behind the scenes, her marriage was deteriorating. She had met her husband when she was 16. She says the relationship had turned abusive. I think in hindsight, there's a lot of flags that I should have picked up on sooner. But regardless, I think the fact that I was, that my campaign was taking off so much and that um, I was clearly sort of, he was losing his power and control over me. And that was sort of a catalyst, I think, for things escalating in a really bad way. Like there were many times when he told me he, you know, I needed, I needed to stop running and I needed, you know, things like it's either me or, or the campaign. And I mean, I said, I'm not quitting. And ultimately I ended up getting into a relationship with somebody who worked on the campaign with me. 
if you're looking at it just from a black and white perspective, I was, you know, I was a, I was a boss, right? I was the boss. I was the candidate. This was somebody who worked on my campaign. Um, it's not appropriate. But the reality is that I was in my 20s. She was in her 20s. And we were very closely, we just worked very closely together. And you end up, um, you end up getting connected with people in a, in a way that I think is unique. And you're talking about 20 hours a day um, spending time with these people. And uh, anyway, it, sh- it led to a relationship. Um, so tell me about the, what some people call the thruple component of this, a three-way relationship. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a relationship that, uh, that was not, it was, she had a relationship with my husband too, and, um, my ex-husband. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, a big part of that is that I was really not allowed to have a relationship with a woman that was not part of the the bigger relationship. And so, or mm-hmm. the, you know, the original relationship or whatever. And so it didn't happen in like a planned way or anything like that. But, you know, the bottom line is that she had a relationship with him and with me. And um, that was the part that was really, really sensationalized. So one of the kind of set pieces of later marriages is that one party, usually the man, proposes opening the relationship. Um, there's like, rather than divorce or have, uh, you know, clandestine affairs, there's some idea that maybe the relationship should be open. But, and that can be also a mechanism of manipulation. Um, I think Esther Perel, I don't know if you ever listened to her, but says that uh, for one part party, it might be a way of kind of detaching or a way of, um, you know, making the other person jealous or spicing things up or whatever it is. And for the other, it might be an abandonment prevention strategy. She says APS, um, you know, that you, you end up agreeing to things that are not really you. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was, it was about my sexuality, right? Like I was in, I knew I was bi. I I knew that, you know, from a long time ago, but like, but, but I didn't really kind of come to terms with it until I think I told him when I was probably 18 years old and, mm-hmm. you know, when you're, again, when you're so young, you're, you are, you're like, well, if I'm in a relationship with this person and I'm going to be in a relationship mm-hmm. with this person for the rest of my life, because that's the way you think mm-hmm. about it. Right. Um, yeah. then how am I ever going to be able to sort of fulfill this part of me, right? Like this, you know, this side of me, which is, a, which is an important part of your identity. And again, like, I don't know what the right answer is. If somebody's in a relationship and comes out as bi or as, you know, as queer or, or as wanting to, to mm-hmm. do something, right? Like, I don't know, I don't know how, I can't say how this should be handled. But what I can mm. say is that he, he was like, well, you know, you can, you can be with other women, but like, if I am too. And, mm. um, and so, but like, I was not, <laughs> I certainly wasn't allowed to, uh, you know, pursue relationships with other men, Again, like open relationships or or relationships that are that are polyamorous or whatever, like those those work for some people. And I, I think, mm-hmm. I mean, I you know, it's it seems that way. And I think that there are situations in which the the boundaries can be set and that it is truly mm-hmm. consensual and and every party is happy with it. You know, I'm in a I'm in a monogamous relationship now, and I don't see myself being in a non monogamous relationship in the future. At one point, I, you know, I, I was planning on leaving, and he ultimately said, "If you 
if, you know, if you leave, I'll ruin you. And this was in October of the election year, so t- October of 2018. And I decided, like, there's nobody, there's there's no alternative. If if he decides to blow this thing up right now, then this district will not flip. And what if this is the district that determines whether we have the majority or not? And um, And I decided I needed to go back. I couldn't do that. So I went back and um, it wasn't until, I guess, yeah, it would have been in June of 2019 after I'd been in Congress long enough that I was like, I can't stay in this relationship. I need to get out. And, um, And so I left then and I knew that there was this kind of ax hanging over my head that could drop at any minute. After the break, the ax falls. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome back to This is Critical. Today, we're talking to former Congresswoman Katie Hill. In October of 2019, a right-wing blog called Red State and the British tabloid The Daily Mail published leaked texts and nude photos that revealed a relationship between Hill, her husband, and a campaign staffer. Hill has accused her ex-husband of being the source of the leak, which he has denied. And I, in the midst of all of that, I... I felt like I I felt like a hypocrite because, you know, I had run during this, the height of the Me Too, you know, stuff that was going on in the, in the height of when um, it was really becoming such an issue, right? Like it was becoming so prevalent in people's minds. And they said, and when I say they, the people who were publishing it, the people who were, you know, kind of threatening behind the scenes— they said that this is going to keep coming. Like, we're going to keep releasing stuff. And it was text messages. It was, like, screenshots of things that were totally taken out of context. It was all kinds of photos. And um, ones mostly that I didn't know even existed. And I decided mm-hmm. at that point that the best thing for me to do for myself and for, you know, my, my staff and for my district would be to step down. Kristen Gillibrand, Senator Gillibrand from New York, you know, famously made a point of saying, you know, we can't be partisan when it comes to these Me Too cases, and Al Franken, too, needs to resign. Um, And, you know, there's this, like, extra effort put in, um, you know, making it clear that these aren't making it clear among women and feminists that, you know, there's no soft spot for men who 
you know, call themselves feminists or identify with left-wing causes. Harvey Weinstein, you know, a, a, a foe of the NRA, um, shouldn't get special treatment because he shares our politics on other matters. Um, and I wonder if similarly any uh, of your female colleagues um, or male colleagues on the left were some people especially hard on you to prove that they had no bias. I didn't experience that, but I also resigned before I think it came to a point with that. That was Mm -hmm. one of my motivators Mm -hmm. for resigning was to say I didn't want to put my colleagues in that position of, Mm -hmm. you know, having to to ultimately either comment on it. Yeah. Or to ultimately throw me under the bus, for lack of a better word, or, you know, be called hypocrites themselves. And, And I'm very sympathetic to that. Uh, vulnerability, right? Like I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to put anyone in that situation. And um, I, so I never had any of my colleagues calling for my resignation. And I think that that's, mm-hmm. you know, that was an important thing for me because I, I value, truly value those relationships. I don't ultimately want to put people in the position of having to defend me or not. And people did defend mm-hmm. me. Uh, I wish mm-hmm. there were, I, you know, at the time, especially I wished that more were vocal about defending me. Um, but mm-hmm. you know the the squad in particular were were big yep. supporters of mine when it was happening. Um, AOC and Ayana and Rashida and Ilhan. Mm-hmm. Part of that, I think, is the luxury of being in very blue seats. Um, that yeah. you you know they're not gonna that's not gonna be used in a campaign against them, right? Whereas mm-hmm. people who were in these tougher seats, it, it very well could have been, and um, and I didn't want people to be in that position either. In 2018, in the midst of the Me Too movement and the resignation of Senator Al Franken under sexual misconduct allegations, the House of Representatives adopted ethics rules that barred congresspeople from having sexual relationships with staffers. They also made it easier to report complaints of harassment and discrimination. This legislation only covered congressional staffers. That's why Hill's relationship with someone on her campaign wouldn't have been covered. But then the House Ethics Committee opened an investigation into a separate claim that Hill had had an affair with a member of her congressional staff. That's a claim that remains unproven and that Hill denies. But as Hill explains, the optics were bad enough that she felt pressured to resign. And in the aftermath of her resignation, Political opponents were quick to use her story against other women, calling her names that hit particularly hard for someone who has talked openly about experiencing multiple sexual assaults through her adolescence. So the guy who was running against Mm -hmm. me, challenging me Mm -hmm. in uh, 2020 for re-election, he, even as recently as like a couple months ago, he was, he went after the, the woman who's, who's running against him now, who had supported me in the past. He went, you know, he went after her saying that she supports sexual predator Katie Hill. Mm -hmm. And like when I get called a sexual predator, I mean, like there's nothing that can make me more mad um, than that. Because I'm like, I I mean, I don't know if you you bleep this if you want to, but fuck you. Like, that's just not that's not what this is. That that was never what this is. And that's not who I am. I'm I have been a victim of sexual predators and I'm not one of them. And um and that's a hard that's yeah. a hard thing to kind of sit with still. It really if you have any critical thinking capabilities whatsoever, you see the differences, right? Especially women very clearly see the differences. Like we know what it's like to be hit on by a guy who is your boss and who's, you know, 20 years older than you and 
Um, and there's a, like, it's not hard to see the difference in, in that power dynamic between what was going on mm -hmm. with me as a candidate, as somebody who didn't even think they were going to win, um, mm -hmm. versus, you know, an actual member of Congress who has some 25-year-old who's working for him who feels like her job's going to be in jeopardy if she doesn't, you know, yeah. acquiesce to his advances. That's what the rules were intended to change. And that's what the, um, that's the situation that was happening all too often, not just in Congress, mm -hmm. but all over the place. And that still happens. Mm -hmm. um, but, but because of the fact that we were right in this moment when there, there was not, there's not a gray area, right? Right. Like there's, there's not an ability to kind of, I don't know if it's an ability or a willingness or a desire to kind of get into the differences. You know, I don't want to at all diminish abuses or, or power dynamics that exist within LGBTQ relationships, but there mm -hmm. is something fundamentally different between that dynamic that exists between a man and a woman and a woman and a woman. And there's, I think that's the, the, the very nature of the fact that we've had this power di disparity between the sexes for so long. Mm -hmm. And most people, I think, understand that. Sorry to keep butting in, but I do want to note a couple of things. First, the woman with whom Hill had a relationship has not spoken publicly about this to support or refute Hill's depiction of their relationship. And second, and I don't mean to eat too much fruit of the poisoned tree here, but I gotta cite the leaked texts, which include the staffer calling her relationship with Hill unhealthy. As much as Hill likes to point out the differences between her case and most of the Me Too cases, you have to acknowledge the similarities from the eight-year age difference between her and her employee to the very real power disparity. And to some extent, Hill does acknowledge these similarities. In interviews and statements after her resignation, Hill has said she understands that even a consensual relationship with a subordinate is inappropriate, and she admits she allowed it to happen in spite of her better judgment. So New York Magazine's The Cut, quite sympathetic to you, but they also tied your scandal to your personality traits, um, risk-taking and what they called unfilteredness. I don't know about that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I like that. I mean, those might describe you, but they, they might describe you in your, in your public life. But I don't know. Like, that suggests that women ought to be more conservative, you know, conservative, small C, um, or risk averse or inhibited. Yeah. And those terms are ones that we have, we recognize as, uh, they're used frequently in an, in a negative way against women, but they are considered positives when we're talking about men, especially when we're talking about mm -hmm. men who are running for office or anything, right? Like you, you need, you know, that a strong leader is somebody who's willing to take risks and who is, mm -hmm. you know, um, whatever, any of the, any of those characteristics, right? Like if you think about Trump, what people talk, people loved yeah. the fact that he was quote unquote unfiltered, right? No filter, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I think we should always look at terms like that and see if they're being applied in a, in a sexist way. And, you know, unfortunately, I think they very frequently are. After the break, we'll look at what our culture gets wrong about the power disparities that the Me Too movement is trying to change.
This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome back to This is Critical. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Today, I'm talking with Katie Hill, who helped flip the house in 2018 and then stepped down less than a year into her first term after multiple sex scandals, one involving a congressional staffer that prompted a House Ethics Committee investigation, but that remains unproven. The other was proven, thanks to leaked photos of Hill with a young female campaign staffer and Hill's then-husband. Hill now describes her marriage as abusive, a claim her ex-husband has denied without making any official statements except to take shots at Hill's story on Twitter. So I've talked to uh, one of um, the people that Eric Schneiderman hit and tried to control, um, the journalist Tanya Salvaratnam. Um, She uh, was the first person to kind of bring to my attention that what the particular patterns known as intimate abuse. Um, and she felt, I think you used the word controlled, you, that you weren't allowed to do something. What did that look like with someone you'd been involved with since you were 16? That's where it starts, right? Is that when you're you're 16, and I think this is like when people ask me advice that I would give to younger people, like, don't get in relationships. Don't get, <laughs> when, you're, when you're young, do not get married before you're 30. Like, I'm very much a, you have a lot of, and I, and I, I mean this in, in the most respectful way possible because God knows I have mm-hmm. more respect for young people than, than most, but um, you, you've got a lot of growing up to do. Mm-hmm. Even if it's, you know, if, if, you're, if you're two 16-year-olds in a relationship, you either learn together what is, what is you know, good and what's bad, and Mm-hmm. But you're, there's no way you're going to know it all when you're 16, right? And I yes. think that, um, you know, he was he was four years older than me. And hmm. that's not a huge difference at all now when I'm, you know, in my mid-30s. But, but it's, it's huge when you're— in, yeah, yeah, I was when I was younger. And, and I got into that relationship on the heels of a sexual assault uh, where I was looking for somebody who— and I don't even know if it was conscious or not, but I, I wanted this sense of— of of security and somebody who would protect me and somebody who, you know, he was, and, and this is a pattern that, again, I didn't figure out until a lot later, but, like, he was very uh, loving and doting and everything like that, but that turned into a, um, a you know, a, a controlling mechanism, a, a high, high levels of jealousy mm-hmm. of, you mm-hmm. know, um, well, I do this for you. What are you doing for me? Sort of like a, a reciprocity kind of thing that, you mm-hmm. know, anyway. So it's, 
um, it, it's not, it's not just like, you can't do this, right? It's, it's, it's this use of beratement or belittling or, hmm. um, making you feel like without this person, you're not capable of doing things. Um, mm-hmm. my, my ex, that was a big one was he would basically would say like, well, you've, you've gotten here because of me, because of the support that I've given mm-hmm. you. And without me, without, you know, if I hadn't done this for you all the, all this time, then you wouldn't be as successful as you are. And did those surround, and I just want to say to listeners, part of the reason that it's so important to talk about this is we've heard from men a lot about what their, you know, sexual and intimate relationships are like and how, you know, um, since Me Too, so many men have tried to disclose in some ways to get sympathy um, and and understanding why, you know, things evolved the way they did. And we just don't hear from women about how, you know, how their intimate lives interact with their uh, their political lives, with their public lives. Yeah, yeah. There are not very many women scandals, right? Like, there's there's just, there hasn't been, we have not, we as women have not been in positions of power for very long in the grand scheme of things. And and certainly not in the numbers that men are. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think there are behavioral differences, but there's also just the very fact that there's not as many of us um, that... Mm -hmm. That means that that we haven't, you know, we just haven't seen these kinds of things play out in the same way. And it even sounds silly sometimes saying it. And I think there's that's one of the reasons we don't talk about it as much, especially women who who identify as I do as as strong and independent and um, mm-hmm. you know assertive, like you said. I think there's a shame. There's a definite shame in like people don't understand. Like, well, how did you? let yourself get into a relationship where you were not, where you were controlled or where you were not allowed to do things or whatever. But again, starting when you're so young, and it isn't just when it starts when people are so young, it's, you're more susceptible to it or vulnerable to it if, if you are in a relationship as a young person, but you are, it happens at any time. Last December, Hill filed a lawsuit against the two right-wing outlets that first published the leaked photos, calling them revenge porn. But the court ruled against her, citing First Amendment protections. That's a piece of this whole thing that is um, unsettled or that is that is problematic still, um, is that basically the, you have this protection of, of free speech based on the judge's decision uh, for, you know, for something that should be and is in, in other cases a is a crime, is a is a punishable offense. Um, and because I'm a public figure and there are not definitions for what a public figure is. So you could, a, a teacher could be a public figure, a principal could be a public figure. There is no, there is no category defined anywhere of what a public figure is. Hill did file a criminal complaint against her ex-husband for leaking those photos to the press, which again is a charge he denies. That case was settled out of court. I temper my expectations, but I'm still hopeful that criminal charges will ultimately end up being brought because I think especially since there's no recourse on the civil side, it's that much more important that we set some some boundaries as far as what's allowed within, um, you know, political behavior. If, if it's if it's normalized, if my case normalizes it and, and people think they can get away with it, there's nothing stopping opposition research firms or opponents, political opponents, from trying to dig up 
photos for every, you know, every woman uh, who runs for office in the future. And with, you know, more and more young people running, like those exist. So what is next with this? What is next on the cyber exploitation front? Is this something you're still, you're still working on, not just in your own case, but behind the scenes with that legislation or with any other organization committed to it? So I was a sponsor when I was in, when I was in office, a sponsor of, it's called the SHIELD Act. And it's a law that will, would uh, ban or, you know, make it a federal crime to, uh, to engage in cyber exploitation, which is another word for revenge porn. Um, a lot of people, a lot of uh, activists really don't like the term, and, and I understand it, revenge porn, because when you say revenge, it implies that there's something, some action that the person has done that, that you know, it enables revenge or necessitates revenge. And then to call it porn conflates it with something that is, you know, or can be consensual and that can be and is meant for somebody's entertainment and enjoyment. Um, so I was familiar with this as a legislator um, because I became a co-sponsor on this legislation that would have that would made it a federal crime. Um, Jackie Spear has been introducing it for a long time. And I was one of, I think the year that I did it, there were maybe 30 of us that were co-sponsors of it. Well, after I resigned... There were about, I think there were another 50 people who joined on as co-sponsors because it brought, you know, this attention to it that is, that's kind of unprecedented. The legislation was wrapped into the Violence Against Women Act passed by the House earlier this year. It's now waiting to be passed by the Senate. If we're able to pass it through the Senate in the form that it currently is, that the Violence Against Women Act is, then it will be a federal crime for um, for people to engage in cyber exploitation. And that's, I think that's a really, really important thing. And, you know, if it does become a federal crime, there will be a lot more possible repercussions for anybody who's engaged in it, including media outlets. Since leaving Congress, Hill set up a political action committee called Her Time with the goal of electing more women to Congress. And just this week, she was profiled in Vanity Fair about expecting her first child. Producer Harry, let's do a little PS here. That was a big show. I I feel as though Katie is really grounded about this stuff, but it's still... A just extraordinary experience she had. And the double standard just boggles the mind. Yeah, she's so good at talking about her story and her experience about that and helping all of us understand what it's like to have to go through that. Obviously, we were low on time, but I wanted to know a lot more about the Violence Against Women Act and the SHIELD Act part of it that she's working for, especially. Okay, do you remember the Violence Against Women Act was passed in 1994 with then-Senator Joe Biden helping to draft it? It was somewhat controversial because he was also a a pretty brutal interrogator and skeptic of Anita Hill's testimony. But he often cites the Violence Against Women Act as one of his proudest achievements and a feminist act. Mm -hmm. Um, Its main Programs are still being funded, although the Violence Against Women Act lapsed in 2018 Mm -hmm. when Congress started fighting over portions of it about guns and transgender issues. So that's why it's waiting to be reauthorized now. Exactly. Yeah, these these programs are still being funded or getting their funding, its main programs. Mm -hmm. 
But the part that Katie Hill, who of course was elected in 2018, just as the Violence Against Women Act, some of it lapsed because of these other debates, mm-hmm. she's been really interested in and, and d- dynamically committed to the so-called SHIELD Act, which aims to expand protections against non-consensual pornography, as the bill calls it. It's it commonly referred to as revenge porn. Right. Wasn't it cyber exploitation was the phrase that they used? That's I, right. A really, really helpful way to phrase it because calling it revenge porn just is, it's like a buzzword. Yeah. I mean, it could be all kinds of, you know, compromising situations. So this would explicitly define the crime as sharing private sexually explicit or nude images without consent or threatening to share them. So prosecutors would only have to prove that the accused was aware of a risk, that the person in the image expected them to remain private, and that they didn't consent to the image being distributed. Oh, okay. So that, I mean, that sounds like a big deal because I think from my understanding, right now, prosecutors really have to prove that there was a lot of intent, like the person had to intend to harm the person by doing it rather than just looking for attention or like profiting from selling this cyber exploitation. So it sounds really useful, although I'm a little worried about how much it could help a public figure like Hill because it still requires proof that no reasonable person would consider the shared image to touch on a matter of public concern, right? So there's this problem where like a place like Red State or the Daily Mail would still probably argue that those photos were a matter of public concern. Exactly. So like, what do you do about that for public figures? Yeah, I mean, it is, it's interesting. The parties also have different feelings about this. So for instance, the charges that um, one prominent Republican senator solicited gay prostitutes or gay escorts, those charges were basically the Democrats demurred from publishing those or from um, giving a platform to his accusers on the grounds that that is not a matter of public concern. The right-wing media tends to have a kind of lower bar for that. Um, And so I agree with you that Red State, the media organization, and the Daily Mail both conservative outlets will continue to say that naked images of a political figure, especially a Democratic political figure and especially a woman, are somehow a matter of public concern. Coming up next week, is the internet the enemy of culture? Let's ask author Dave Eggers. You have this sort of inconceivable total conquest of culture, of the humanities, of everything, the datification of all aspects of life, which I don't think anybody could have seen coming. That's it for this week's show. Make sure you don't miss next week's episode by following us or subscribing on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. For more information and to keep tabs on This Is Critical, follow me on Twitter at page 88 and at This Critical Pod. If you have a question or a cultural creed you think deserves another look, send us an email at thisiscriticalpod at gmail.com. One last note. If you've been affected by sexual violence or abuse, know that there are resources available to you. Contact the National Sexual Assault Hotline. 
It's available 24-7 at 800-656-OPE or R-A-I-N-N dot org. This is Critical is made by me, Virginia Heffernan, and Stitcher. Harry Huggins is the producer with help from consulting producer Tamika Weatherspoon. Tracy Samuelson is our editor. Brendan Burns mixed this episode and composed our original theme. And Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Stitcher. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 